Lord, that is the cry of our heart. As Jordan even said this morning, we long to be a part of a movement of what you're doing in the world, a movement in our own lives, a movement in our families, a movement in our church family, a movement in Emporia, Lord, a movement among all nations. That is our heart's desire. And thank you for your story and that that really is what you're all about, is an outbreaking of your kingdom into this world. And so um, we long for the day when that comes into fulfillment, but we also, Lord, are energized by the things you've called us to. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the kingdom bringer. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Has spring like finally? Didn't it snow like a week and a day ago or something? I, I think spring's finally coming. Instead of snowing on me, it rained on I got caught in the rain yesterday briefly. That was kind of a heavy rain. Short but heavy. Um, yeah, continuing the series that we're doing on the story of God. And I can't believe how fast it's going. I, I love the whole story. Last week, when we talk about God coming into our world, um, always moves me deeply. But the thing that really captures my heart is what we're going to talk about today. A um, couple of things. Yeah, so we're continuing in that story, the one true story. Again, so next week we're going to finish the story in depth. Easter Sunday is two Sundays away. Um, bring somebody. I mean, we all, there's somebody that we're all, that's on our heart that we know needs to hear, not just hear, but needs to know Jesus. And Easter will be a great day for them to hear the whole story, and we've got the postcard still back there if you want to give one out to somebody. Um, books, I, this is a book that I think in a, in a really deep way talks to a lot of what we're talking about, this creation regained. I think we might, this might be down to the last copy. Um, there's another book that I think, this one's kind of, I don't know deep's the word, but that's a, a real thinking kind of book. There's also one that I think goes through the story in just a little bit of a simpler way called God's Big Picture, Tracing the Storyline of the Bible. And when Lisa and I went to order it a few weeks ago, like they were out on Amazon, but they've got them now. And so we're going to have this book next week. If you're a reader and you're wanting something, then I highly, I recommend to jump into something like that. And then also we still have, I'm pretty sure in the bulletin, if you don't have this, the, we're tracing the story. Today we're going to be down in the lower left corner, since we've already worked our way through the first three. Um, still encourage you to, to see Tangled. I'm hearing more reports of that happening. I even heard somebody went to Walmart to buy it, and the lady's like, what's up with Tangled? We've already had two other people come in today, and we don't have it, so... It's going to have to be a Netflix thing. And when you watch it, just enjoy it. It's a great movie, period. But there is going to be a payoff. Some have already been talking to me about that. Um, hey, another, just another, uh, I don't know, family business. Just We're doing our first starting point this morning, which is really exciting. Lisa's pulled that together. So after this service, I'm going to be dashing over there to join that, so just so you guys know, I'll be heading out that way. Stay out of the way, okay? No, I'll go. <laughs> I don't. Uh, hey, a couple things about the story of God. 
Just this week, Carissa, you know, who's in Durham, North Carolina, her roommate asked her a question. First time she's asked her a spiritual question. But it was about the things that everybody in this generation wants to know. The big question. What do you think about gays and lesbians, right? Isn't that the big question? And I want to... This is just an encouragement to you of how useful this is in anything. That's not an easy question to just jump into. Do you know that? Um, You know when Jesus was asked about divorce, do you know what the first words that came out of his mouth were? He said, that's not the way it was in the beginning. And Jesus went back and referenced the story with creation, okay? Okay. That is a great place to begin. And so her and I did some debrief after that conversation. They're going to continue. And I said, you know what? Uh, Because she's going to go back and say, hey, I am not sure I answered that as well as I could have because I've never been asked before. But can we do the story of God first? Because to answer that question, I've got to tell you the story. Because not only does it help answer the question, but it's also a way to plant the seed of the gospel in her life. So this, this is really, I use this, I've told you before, almost every question, if somebody comes new, I'm always like, I've got to tell you God's story first, because that can only get answered in that context. And I want to tell you, my heart's been pumping all week. I'm pumped this morning, because I, this, this part of the story we're going to share today is what gets me out of bed every morning. It's what energizes everything I do, and I hope that you can catch that kind of a, that kind of a vision, so... All right. Man, we've, so we've done, we started with the beginning, creation, where God, um, yeah, there's the whole tangled, where God creates everything at the beginning. He creates for good. He creates uh, man and woman in intimate relationship with Him to live in relationship un, in, in loving, under His loving reign. That creation is full of goodness, full of the shalom of God. Everything is exactly as it's intended to be. And then the, the question we all ask is, how did our world get so, so messed up? And we're told in the story in Genesis 3 that, that our world is broken by sin. They rejected relationship with God, rejected His reign on their life. And as soon as they did that, the relationship between the, the man and woman immediately became broken. Creation, that relationship became broken. They became broken internally. Shame filled in gear. Shame filled <laughs> gear, high gear, like bicycling. Is Matt in the house? Shame, guilt, and fear came into their lives, and the whole of creation was broken. And we asked the question that week and last week, what's God going to do with it? Is He just going to throw it away? And we're told in the Bible that God's mission is, it's huge if you remember, it is to restore, to renew, to reconcile all things back to Himself. Ephesians 1, to bring everything under one head, that His mission is the restoration of everything. And so, how is he going to do that? And the thing that, that's shocking, if you don't know the story, that, that twist is the God out of love. He enters into this broken world. He comes to be the one to fix it because only he can. And he enters into our world, and everywhere he goes, he shows the shalom of, of what things would be like if God were in rank, charge because he's, God's back. The king is back. And if you remember, he ends up going to the cross, and he went to the cross for three reasons. Number one, to die to take the punishment for my sin, the death 
He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died to take my sin upon himself. But it wasn't just that. He was also in, on the cross. He was experiencing, and in his, just by entering the world, but on the cross, he was experiencing suffering and the pain that we all go through so that he knows we have a God who knows and who understands and who cares. And then the third thing was, I said, is he was defeating the dark powers of evil, Satan and his forces on the cross, and especially in the resurrection. So Jesus came that first time This first time he came, not as the vanquishing warrior king, but as the suffering servant, to deal with our sin, which really lay at the roots of corruption, and again, to conquer the powers of evil. Yeah, his death on the cross was a little bit like a spiritual judo. How many of you know judo? Judo is you fight a person by using their momentum and their weight in attacking you, you actually use it against them to defeat them. And so Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection kind of did a, whoa, spiritual judo. You know, Satan throws his best shot, but he turns that against him, and through that, judo defeats him. Uh, that's why in Colossians 2.15, it says, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, of them triumphing over them on the cross. So, evil won't have the final word. Goodness and God will win and will reign. So, the question was, the obvious question, then why is there still pain and suffering? Why does evil still exist? Was it not enough? And that's a really important question that I think needs a good answer. So, here's my best shot. As you read the New Testament, you realize that in Jesus, that Jesus' death and resurrection was the decisive victory over the powers of spiritual darkness. And let me explain that concept of a decisive victory. A decisive victory is, it's a military victory that definitively, it resolves the war in that battle, resolves the war, where the enemy is essentially defeated, where the ultimate outcome of the war is assured at that point. In World War II, in the the Pacific theater, Midway was the decisive victory. In the European theater, it was the D-Day landing. But this is really important. However, because the final victory, the final victory did not happen until months or years later. In, in Europe, it was 11 months later till the final victory. In the Pacific, it was three years and two months before final victory. And in that interim period between the decisive victory and the final victory, there were still many hard-fought and bloody battles, and sadly, lots of casualties. And it's the same in the spiritual realm. When Jesus rose from the dead, he dis- it was the decisive victory over Satan, the decisive victory. But though defeated, Satan and his legions, they're still fighting tooth and nail in their last gasp effort to hold on to long-held territory. And that's why Revelation 12, 12 says, woe to the earth. He, meaning Satan, is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. He knows the decisive victory is coming. He knows the final victory is coming, and he's mad, all right? He is not happy. So, ultimate triumph is certain. When Jesus returns to earth as king, that's when the victory will be complete. So, we, you know, we've done this before, right? We find ourselves living in this really unique period of human history. This time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. It's a period of time where the kingdom has come but it's not fully realized. 
We're living between the victory achieved by Jesus on the cross and that ultimate victory and the ultimate renewal of all things when He comes His second time. We're kind of inhabiting right now this time when God Himself, He's begun to put everything right, but He's not finally put everything right. An age when His restoration is partial, not completed till the day Jesus returns. Does that make sense? We live in this unique time between the decisive victory and the ultimate victory. But make no doubt about it, that last part, it's kind of blurred, but I mean hidden, make no doubt about it. In In Jesus, that great restoration, it has begun. The kingdom of darkness is defeated, and the kingdom of light is advancing. In Mark 1.14, when Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's really interesting if you're like a Greek geek. And that Greek verb is so fascinating because in Greek, there's verbs that that mean like at one point in time something happened, or something happened continuously, but there's this really interesting verb where it says something happened at a point in time and the effects of it continue all off into the future. And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, He means it has come and the effects of it are continuing on in the future. So the kingdom is here. I want to tell you, the rightful king has arrived, okay? He has landed. He landed when He came in the incarnation. Aslan is on the move, so to speak. But the question is, how will God continue to implement this ongoing effects? How will He continue to implement the movement that Jesus began, this movement towards the ultimate restoration of all things? So to answer that, we've got to come back to God's story. So, have got to draw our world here. Somebody said, <laughs> this looked like an A-bomb, like the cloud, like, just a tree. <laughs> Okay, but I love it. Isn't that awesome? Okay, still live in a broken world, right? This is this time we're living in, this unique period in human history. And here's what uh, this whole thing about this relationship, because he's died for me. But I'm telling you, it's a relationship you have to desire, sincerely desire, and you have to choose to accept that relationship. Romans I mean, Romans, John 1.12 says that to those who welcome Jesus in their lives, that is, they believe in His name, He gives them the right to become the children of God, the right to become the children of God. So there, since Jesus died and rose again, there have been people like me, as I went on my spiritual journey, I was drawn and attracted to the beauty of who Jesus was, and I came to the point that I centered my life around Him. He became the center of my life. I received Him and His forgiveness. He became the focal point of my life. And at that point, I was rescued from the kingdom of darkness, and I was transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son. I was redeemed, restored, reconciled back into relationship with God. But something else happened to me and happens to anybody who turns to Jesus, that if you receive Him, here's what God has promised that I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my laws. No longer a, a religion of rules following rules. The spirit of God comes in me. He moves me to live the way God wants me to do. It's not rules on a, you know, on the wall. It's the law in my heart. 
And when Jesus comes into this person who centers their life, who believes in Jesus, he begins to form you and to transform you, to spiritually transform you into the likeness of Jesus to where we become slowly more and more like him. And that spirit begins to bear fruit in my life. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things begin to grow in ever-increasing measure in my life. And did you notice, look, do you see the third one? What's the third one in red? Peace. The Greek, it's the Greek version of the word, what? Shalom. The Spirit of God comes in me, and He begins to put the shalom of God inside of me, that thing that was lost at creation. Isn't that amazing? And, and He begins over time that shalom, that having that right relationship with God, I begin to experience greater and greater and greater, slowly, greater degrees of God, the shalom of God in my relationship with myself, learning to live with grace upon myself, in relationship with people around me, in my own relationship with nature. That shalom starts to affecting everything. But there's more, because we're not only saved from, not just saved from, but we're also saved to. Not just saved from sin and bondage to Satan. We are saved to, into Jesus' community. Because it's not just me, but people all over the world the last 2,000 years have been turning to this Jesus, have seen the beauty of Him, and have been centering their lives on Him, bowing the knee, making Him the center, receiving His death on their behalf for the forgiveness of their sin. And Jesus is creating a whole community of people who love and follow Him. It's His church in the Greek. The, it's called His ecclesia. I prefer to call it the community of Jesus. That's a whole nother sermon. If you knew the meaning of that word, you would know why I use that language. That, but it's okay. I can use both. But I want you to see how the Bible describes that community. Look at this. You are all children of God through your faith in Jesus the Messiah. In the Messiah's family, there can be no division into Jew, non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among us, you are all equal, for you are all one in Jesus the Messiah. And in Colossians 3, in the new Jesus life, there is no difference between Greeks, barbarians, civilized, uncivilized, slave or free, no difference between insider and outsider. Rural and urban, white collar, blue collar, black or white, Latino or Asian. Because as the text says, the Messiah is in all believers and the Messiah is all that is important. Isn't that a great community that he's creating? I just love that. And this community of Jesus, it is to be a place that exhibits significant levels of shalom within the community. The way we treat each other, the way we love, the way we relate, the way we do conflict, because conflict arises, should demonstrate to a watching world high levels of shalom in here in the way we relate that nobody experiences out there. The things people dream of what a dream community would look like, this should be a picture of that. Does that make sense? The shalom of God should be in us. We as the church, we're to be a model community that shows people what it looks like when God's in charge. What does life look like when God's in charge? But it gets better. It gets better. Because remember, we're not just saved from, but we're saved to. Not just into Jesus' community, but we are saved unto Jesus' mission. 
in John 17, 18, Jesus said, in the same way that you gave me, in talking to the Father, you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. So a little bit ago I asked, how will God continue to implement the movement He began in Jesus, this kingdom movement, this movement towards the ultimate restoration of all things? How is He going to continue to implement it? It's through this community. That's how He's going to implement it. We, as the church, are now the principal conduit through which God is working out His plan to renew, to reconcile, to restore the world, everything, to Himself. God is on a mission, and His mission has a church. I grew up for so long thinking the church had a mission. No, God had a mission in Genesis 3. He's always had a mission. His mission has a church. And Boy, I, could, I wish I could show you so deeply how much the church is vital to what God is doing. I'm just going to reference two passages, and we're not going to really, you can have time to like look at them. But two of the key passages of His desire to reconcile, restore, renew everything, to bring everything under one head is Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. And in Ephesians 1, He talks about bringing everything in heaven and earth under one head. And then later in that chapter, He talks about this thing of putting all things, I mean, look at that, all things, all things, all things under His head. Look at the main thing that He's going to use to implement that. Twice you see the word, two words, the what? The church, the church. We are the ones at work helping to bring everything under His head. I really love Colossians 1, where it says that, through, through the Messiah, through Jesus, God is reconciling to Himself all things. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul takes that, that reconciling language and he says that God has reconciled us and that he, God has given us, in the green, do you see that? The ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. We are the instruments of this reconciliation of all things that God is wanting to do. So the kingdom of God, as it is expressed now, is Jesus Christ through His church reconciling all things to Himself. Are you excited yet? I don't know. I get like my blood, I mean, (laughs) blood gets going. Um, God has chosen us to co-labor with Him in the rescuing of a world gone wrong. Do you understand that? He is not me, not, not Garen, not, you know... Al, a year ago, John, it's not Jordan. He has chosen us to be co-labors with Him in His global mission in the world of restoring, reconciling, and renewing all things back to Himself. We are called to be the people who are advancing and extending, enlarging this circle of people who know Him and of this reconciliation to the ends of the earth, to all nations. Isn't that amazing? that I have been invited, that you have been invited into this great work? You know, yes, we want to see individuals reconciled to God. That's the most crucial of the four relationships. But I want to tell you, it's it's, it's the emphasis on this whole story. That is not all. We want to see all of creation restored to Him. That's our mission, all of creation, okay? Of course, we never want to lose sight of of seeing individual souls reconciled to Him. But His mission is bigger than that. It's more than that. Okay? And if you know me, you know my passion for lost people. I so want lost people to be found by God because I was one so desperately lost. 
In fact, I just had the privilege this Monday of sitting in Granada Coffee Shop with somebody and walking them through the story, somebody I'd been working with for a while, and seeing them come to that point of surrender and of bowing the knee and of receiving Him. Okay? I'm all about that. I'm all about that. But God's plan encompasses all of creation, okay? And we are called to build His kingdom and promote renewal and restoration and reconciliation in every sector of society, in every area of life, in all four areas. We are to be bringing restoration, reconciliation, not just people to God, but people in their own relationship to themselves, in people's relationships with each other, and in our relationship to the world around us. In Jesus' name, we seek to bring the shalom of God everywhere that sin disrupts, distorts, and destroys. Everywhere. Everywhere. Into schools, into boardrooms, into city councils, into hospitals, courthouses, into businesses, the arts, into the sports arena, into the hospitals, into families. Even here, right? Even here. Do you realize I can't be in all those places? Do you know that? Uh, but, I mean, here's Jace. Jace is in the sports arena. You're, you're in a place I can't be, dude, bringing reconciliation, restoration. You guys are in the business. Some of you are in the business world. You're in the education. I can't be there, but you can be there. You can be there. You know, we want to see broken families restored in your neighborhood. We want to see failing schools turned towards health. We want to see God's justice in every nook and cranny. We want those who struggle with mental health issues to be restored, Right? Everywhere we go, just like Jesus, we should be bringing love and life and liberation into everything, into everything. We are as a community. Why don't I have my red this week? Sent to heal. We are sent to heal. And I want to tell you, if you know anything about history, you know that God's people have been and are continuing to do this work of restoration. I admit, I'm the first one, we don't have a perfect track record, okay? I don't have a perfect track record. Because those saved, I'm not totally healed. I'm in this partial restoration, okay? We're all broken. Jesus' community, the church is broken. But as N.T. Wright says, I love this quote, the failure of Christianity is a modern myth and we shouldn't be ashamed of telling the proper story of church history, which of course has plenty of muddle and wickedness, but also far more than we normally imagine of love and creativity and beauty and justice and healing and education and hope. To imagine a world without the gospel of Jesus is to imagine a pretty bleak place. For 2,000 years, the community of Jesus, everywhere it has gone, everywhere, it has cared for the sick it has started hospitals. It has fed the hungry. It has worked against injustice. It has opened schools, opened orphanages, began universities, taught literacy, freed and educated slaves, brings disaster relief to areas where terrible things happen. His community, 
started the finance, microfinance thing that's the big deal these days, was first started by a Jesus follower. Funding and building of wells for water, which is the most important health issue in the whole world right now, is a lack of water. Funding and building wells. Providing for, for school for children without. Opening homes for young women. Women's right. Modern democracy. The development of science as we now know it. All of that. Just come, if you doubt it, come sit with me sometime and let's talk about it. Is underneath, the, underneath all of that has been the Jesus, Jesus community and the work it's been doing in all of creation. Several times our church has sent people to Manila, right? Um, our three children went. Ariel twice. And to areas of deep poverty where street children are, where the boys, the street boys, it's just drugs and, and thievery, robbery, right? And the girls, I mean, we're talking 12-year-old, 13-year-old, those street girls, you know what their only option is. It's prostitution. With a lot of men from the West who go there for $5 an hour. Can, I mean, that's all it costs. Can you imagine? Okay. And you hear a lot of talk of solving these problems, and people are at work. But I want to tell you, not just from their experience, but from my knowing people and things all over the world, how this happens, that when you go there, Wherever you go in the world where there's darkness and there are people working to bring restoration, there is one group that is consistently there in all of those places. Do you know what group that is? It is the community of Jesus. It is His church. They're the ones that are there. Twelfth, you know, this group that's my family, we are God's redemptive agents in the world, agents of healing and hope. We are to be an instrument in the hands of God to bring more of heaven to earth in a concrete way. Our mission is to seek to be the answer to Jesus' prayer, which is on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be the answer to that prayer, not just in our lives, but extending the answer to that prayer. There's a church in Oregon that I've come to value deeply called Bridgetown Church. And you get on their website, and their mission is in Portland as it is in heaven. Isn't that great? In Portland as it is in heaven. So through us and through the other local churches in Emporia, may that be true here, right? In Emporia as it is in heaven. Ought that not be our dream? Is that not the mission that we are called to? I'm going to say more about this in the future, but I just want to get a, a little more practical on what this looks like, if you don't mind. In the future, I've talked about work before, and somebody's asked me to come back and to address that and expand it, and I'm going to. And, and I'm, at that time, I am going to get a lot more clear on what this looks like. But I want you to know that each one of us has a God-given, a significant part to play in God's story, okay? In this whole story... We all have a part, we have a script, and it's very significant. We are called, each one of us who follows Jesus, each one of us who follows Him, we are called to the mending of some tear in the fabric of creation, all right? There's lots of tears everywhere, but we're called to one or two tears in our life, in our world. Jordan, on April 28th, is going to talk about this concept of being a, of a masterpiece mission. That's kind of what this is that you're a masterpiece created by God to do good works, 
and you have, you're not only a masterpiece, but He has a masterpiece mission for you in the world you live in. I'm seeking to be a restorer. That's what I wake up every morning. Lord, I'm a, I'm a restorer of some part of your creation. I want to get at it. What is it today? And I do this by prayerfully seeking to bring God's purposes, His will, His shalom into the places where He's put me and into the lives of the people He brought around me. Does that make sense? I'm just focused on the places He put me and the lives He brought into my life. How can I be a restorer of your shalom in those things? You know, I've been in the working world before. I was in high school, uh, worked all the way through college, worked a full-time job all the way through my master's degree. I know what that's like. And for a long time, I thought that, here's what I thought like as a Christian, my job was at work. Number one, integrity. Have integrity, right? Be the best worker, be honest, you know, have integrity and evangelize, right? Pray and hope for that chance to share your faith with somebody. Integrity and evangelize. And that was good, but there was something about that to me that was a little restrictive because you have that, that pressure all the time. Ah, oh, we like, when do I share my faith, right? How do I, I'm going to create a fake conversation to get it in, and then it's really, it, it falls flat because it's so awkward. Everybody knows I just created a fake conversation, right? And I want you to see that what this does, this story of God, it, it, give, it gave me the ability to see that, that everything I did would, was, at work was legitimate kingdom work. Not just being honest and having integrity, but if I was bringing the shalom of God into some aspect of my work, maybe there's conflict between two people and they don't get along, right? And I'm the, I'm the one who comes and steps into it, and I help bring resolution to that so that in that place, that place where God has put me, there's higher levels of His shalom that I have done legitimate kingdom work. It is not secondary to winning a soul. That is important. The souls are important. Please don't forget that. But that is legitimate kingdom work. And it began to, it freed me so much, and it began to allow me to see that, um, to bless others in whatever was the need at the place I found myself or the person I was talking to. It was, in, in whatever of the four relationships, there was some fi- kind of brokenness, either in the people or the place, that I was just a person to help bring His shalom into that thing. No strings attached, Okay. That's a lot of what that evangelism pressure was, is people kind of figure out, hey, he never does anything without throwing a little gospel thing on it, and there starts to be this sense like, can he ever, I had a Chinese student ask me this, can you ever do anything good for us, this is in the early 90s, can you ever do anything good for us without having to tell me about God? And it, it man, it cut me to the core, and I'm like, is, is everything I do really tied to this that i got to convert a soul, and when I realized that I'm called to the restoration of all things, it freed me to be able to do a good thing for somebody and bring shalom without having to tie a gospel presentation to it. Does that make sense? It was so freeing in my life. So here's what this looks like in your work. Um, you know, I know, I just talked about a week ago, a week and a half with somebody, had supper, somebody in here who in their classroom at school, they're doing some unique and creative things with the way they arrange it to, to make it more of a place of shalom for some really broken people, right? That's legitimate kingdom work. That's huge. Um, you know, is Rudy still in the house? I mean, he was back there early, earlier. But Rudy will go into a home of a person, you know, where somebody can't afford something fixed. There's a broken thing, and he'll bring his tools and his skills to bear upon that, many times without any charge, 
Now, now don't go ask Rudy to do things without cost, okay? That's not the point, all right? Most of you can afford Rudy, can pay Rudy, okay? But he's willing to do that. And when he does, he's bringing, that's legitimate kingdom work because he's bringing the shalom of God into that, right? Uh, at your business, if you start a program that's trying to be a blessing to people, and part of that is like doing pro bono work to people who can't afford it, do you understand that's legitimate kingdom work? Because some people can't afford your services, but they need that service. Does that make sense? That is legitimate kingdom work. You help out a neighbor whose marriage is struggling, and, and you haven't even led them to the Lord yet, but you just help them in that need, that relational need of their marriage, and if you can can even stop a divorce from happening and get them started on a right track. That is legitimate kingdom work. If you adopt a child who has no parents and is living in, a, in an orphanage, might be there their whole life, and you bring them into a new family and you give them unconditional love, do you understand that is kingdom work? You take bicycles to Mexico, and you go down there and you, and, and you repair people whose bicycles are broken, and there's nobody down here who knows how to fix it. That is kingdom work. You take a man with a little bike shop that's kind of nothing, and you help make it into a, a more legit bike shop, and you give him training, and you give him skills to where now he's blessing the community, and he's doing better just in what he's doing. That is kingdom work, right? That's just some examples. That, so that, what I'm talking about, that's what it means to live with a missional mindset. And that's what we're to be like. We're on mission. And it's, it's, that's what it's like to wake up every day and be like, wow, Lord, I've got a missional mindset now. Today, I want to be a person that can bring shalom to the place and the people wherever I'm at. And in whatever area, whatever of those areas it's needed, I will do it, and it by itself is legitimate kingdom work. Man, if we as individuals in a community, if we live that way, do you understand people will find God and His story beautiful? Do you understand that? And if you live that way, how many more people will, over time, ask the question about this hope that is within you? Our whole ministry to internationals was based upon this. We are just going to bring the shalom of God into whatever area is needed. Our mission was always, we want to be the touch of God's love to the international students. Our mission wasn't convert everybody to Jesus. Okay, you would love to. That's my heart's longing. But that wasn't the mission. It was to be the touch of love in whatever area they needed. And in doing that, over time, students would be drawn like, what is it about you guys that's different, right? And then you get that chance to then help them in that relationship with God. You see why this gets me out of bed every morning? Chan Hui, where's Chan Hui? Can you come up here a minute? He's here somewhere. Chan Hui's in the house. Can you guys welcome Chan Hui? Chan Hui from South Korea. Chan Hui's in the house. Have a seat, dude. Oh, and your coffee, man. I totally forgot your coffee. Hold on, hold on. You sit down, you sit down. It's over here. You know, I mean, if you're gonna do an interview, you've gotta have coffee, right? You know, in all interviews, it's faux coffee, right? Okay, here you go. All right, there you go. All right? You just, occasionally, you just gotta do this, okay? So it looks cool. Uh, Chanwee's been here two years? No, a year, a little over a year. Went to Mexico few weeks ago, came back, and like, what, what was that like? I mean, just, what'd you tell me when you came back? I said, how was it? You were like, um, yeah, use that, there you go. 
like after Mexico. Um, wait. I just like, like even though I'm, I was weak. Um, even though I, I am, I lack a lot of stuff. But God still uses me and uses um, my efforts, and that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So you came back, really felt like you were used by Him. Yes. He's in a Bible study group with me. We've been doing the book. Uh, oh man, we'll get there. My daughters would think that was funny. Uh, All In by Mark Batterson. So before you left on that trip, there was something in here that really God spoke to yes. you before the trip. Um, in the book, it says, I think it's in chapter 3 or chapter 2, it says that um, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself and pick up the cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so you went down there. Yeah, and that was my heart to really... Um, deny myself, deny, deny my tiredness, deny my, um, deny myself, and really take up the cross there, and just do things with my effort, with all that I have, like putting all in. That was my mind. Yeah. So yeah. he went to be all in. Isn't that cool? Okay. Not only that, you went down. You had read something else in here that really stood out to you. Yes. Right. Here, I'm gonna, let me show the quote. Go ahead. Um, yeah, it says in the book, um, if you do small things like they're big things, then God will do big things like they're small things. Um, and really, it was, we did a construction thing, and I, I know nothing about construction. And, um, there he is. Look, he's just looking yeah. like, I know nothing about construction. Look at that. He's I like, have no what idea. in the world is like... The, the the people who know they're using the big machines and I was just carrying things, and but still even though I was carrying the the small things, um, I really try to um, do it for Christ, do it for um, not me but God's kingdom, and so um, even though I was tired, even though I was like weary, um, even though we wake up we we woke up at like seven o'clock, um, it was all I think I was really happy doing the small things, and yeah. And that's what he said. He went down there and he said, he was, you just end up carrying boards a lot, right? Yes. He was the board yes. guy, carry the boards to them to nail on. But he was doing the small thing like it was a big thing. Because in God's kingdom, everything is a big thing. Do you know that? Small things are big things, right? And he was doing the small thing like it's a big thing because he knew that if we do that, God will do big things like they're small things. Yeah. So what, what, any other, what were the other things for you that kind of came out of that time? Um, this is a good time to do the fake coffee. That's what I do. When I don't know what I'm going to say next, you do this. <laughs> gives you a minute. gives you a minute to think. Um, one, thing, one, thing that I, um, one thing that I realized that was um, when, when I was carrying the plank of woods, like I carried them on my shoulders and it re really reminded me of Jesus Christ, um, how, he, how he went up to um, take the cross for us and died for us, for our sins. And I was just carrying two planks of wood, and that is not heavy. But what Jesus carried was so much more than what I carried and what I'm carrying right now. And so it really, I really felt the love of Jesus once again and what he did for me and how that can really change my life and 
Um, and also, while doing the Bible study with Garen, um, it really challenged me a lot to uh, not live for myself, but to deny myself and um, live for Christ and live for others. And yep. that was a big thing. Yeah. So we're all in, right? Yep. At least we're trying. Working on it. All right. Chan Hui, good job. I'll take that you. from you. Can you guys give him some applause? And he, so he helped, he helped, whoa, he helped um, in, in a small way to construct a place that's going to be a center for people to live and stay as they launch into kingdom work down into Mexico, just carrying boards, doing small things as if they're big things, because everything is legitimate when it's kingdom work. Does that make sense? Everything is legitimate. So let me wrap up with a few final thoughts. First of all... Uh, I just want to remind you, when we approach this task, it requires humility, okay? I know I'm excited and energized about this, but we're not triumphalistic about it. The kingdom of God has not fully come, okay? This brokenness is still here. Um, the full establishment of His kingdom and the full restoration won't come till Jesus' second coming. That's next week, by the way. The restoration, restoration right now is only partial Satan and his powers, they are stark fighting mad, and they're fighting us tooth and nail, okay? So I have no sense that, like, I'm going to conquer the world, okay? Right? So we live humbly in awareness. But I do want you, to, but don't lose hope because we, we have this expectation that real change in our world is possible. The history of the church has demonstrated it. I'm going to back up now. Francis Schaeffer said, substantial healing can be a reality here and now. And one other final thought. I just want you to know, we have been given real authority by Jesus, all right? Real authority. The powers are defeated. Jesus has authority over all of heaven and earth. He has bound Satan, the strong man. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. And in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I'm going to build my community, my church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against her. Gates are defensive things against a charging group, right? The gates will not be able to withstand us. We are to be people who storm the gates of hell, running raids into enemy territory, setting free and liberating, setting the captives free of things and people that he has plundered, all right? That's what we're to be doing. C.S. Lewis, I, I had this last week, but I left out the most important part, or this part. This is enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in this great campaign of sabotage. Man, I want to be doing that every day, being part of this great campaign of sabotage. The kingdom has not fully come. It's establishment and awaits the return of Christ, but through the life and the work of God's people, the church, it continues to expand and grow. And we are a liberated community who is to be about the work of liberating. We're a reconciled community who's to be reconciling. We're a healed community that's to be about healing. We are passionately seeking to join God in the renewal of all things. That's our mission. That's our mission. And I want to tell you, the local church, it's God's plan A. 
in his work in the world. There is no plan B. Do you know that? There is no plan B. It's us. The worldwide community, but it's us and it's us here. So that's why at 12th, we are building a biblical community of kingdom people who are restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. That's what we're to be about. Who needs coffee when you've got that? I still need coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus will one day return to fully and finally establish His kingdom. Are you not looking forward to that day? Are you not looking forward to that day? Though He will use us to make a significant progress, it's never going to be completed till He comes, the lion comes, till the lion comes. And that's the thing we long and wait for, and we say to Him, please, Jesus, return. That's our longing, right? So we're waiting for Him and doing His work. And we're also waiting for next week, because next week we're going to talk about the last chapter of what's God doing. Would you stand with me? I mean, can you not get excited about this? What God is doing in the world. We are His church. You know that? We're the community of His people. And He didn't just save us from sin and from Satan. He saved us into community and into His mission. And it is a mission of restoring, renewing, reconciling all things to Himself, all things. And we are to be restorers, shalom bringers. So, 12th Avenue. May we this week be that kind of community that wherever we go, that we are intentionally bringing the shalom of God into the places we find ourselves, into the lives that we encounter, just seeking in some small way because small things done in big ways for a big mission. If we do that, what will God do? He'll do really big things as if they're small things. So let's be those kind of people this week. You are sent on mission now.